So it is a fabulous privilege to be in Christ. And I hope you've been grooving on those privileges. Precious beyond our knowledge. Now why in the world does this fabulous privilege come with conflict? Does that seem cool? Peace, joy, righteousness, and conflict. What? You have to fight. Now the reason is because you are different. You have become an alien and a stranger on your own planet. This is a fleshly planet. And it is hostile to those who are spiritual. You have to fight. But you don't fight in a fleshly way. The enemy is not flesh and blood. You have to fight in a spiritual way. And because you fight in a spiritual way, you're going to win. That's what we're looking at today. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Peter says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Now, I wanted to take more, but I quickly realized this is so important and fundamental to our walk with Jesus that if I skip over this lightly, we're not going to get something that hangs all of us up and messes up our lives. So that's the way it goes. We're having slow church day. Now I want you to look at this first word in verse 11. Beloved. You are God's beloved. That's why he's saving you. Now you know this might seem like a duh. Like yeah Rob we get this. But even Peter has to emphasize it at times that God loves you. And that's why he's saving you. Everything about God is love. He wants the best for you. And guess what? We misunderstand God all the time. Now I've been meditating in my own personal private life as a person in Psalm 106. And in verse 7, it says, Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses, but rebelled at the sea, at the Red Sea. And this is what they said. Can you cut my mic for a minute? I'm going to clear my throat. Uh oh. There you go. Here it comes, folks. <clears throat> As you were. 
This is what they said to Moses. Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. They're yelling at Moses because they're trapped in front of the Red Sea and the Egyptians are coming up behind to take them back into slavery. It's a pressure situation. And what does Israel do? Well, they forget that God has just smashed Egypt flat with ten plagues with power, destroyed the harvest, sent locusts, chewed up every green thing in Egypt to the point where Pharaoh's advisors are saying, let these people go. Do you not know that Egypt is destroyed? And they actually went around to their neighbors and said, please give me silver and gold. And their neighbors said, here, take everything we've got. Get out of here. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. So they're walking off with the spoils of Egypt. They didn't do a thing for it. And here they are at the Red Sea, and they're freaking out. And they're saying, God, you're crazy. You're trying to kill us. Now it says in Psalm 106 that God saved them from the hand of him who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. Somebody hated Israel, but it wasn't God. Israel has an enemy, but the enemy is not God. God is the one who loves us like he loves Israel. And he wants to save us. So it's out of God's love for us that Peter urges us to hold yourself back from fleshly lusts. Abstain from fleshly lusts. The next thing you got to say is, what are fleshly lusts? Same thing came up on Friday night. Somebody said, uh, what are fleshly lusts? So we made up a big long list. It's there in the YouTube video. We always make big long lists on Friday night. You learn a lot of stuff. So the first thing we think of is sexual lust, because that's a big one. That leads to fornication which is sexual relations between two unmarried people, and that's wrong. Adultery, which is sexual relations between people not married to each other, married to somebody else, that's wrong. Preoccupation with sexual things, and that's wrong. But lust is bigger than sex. The Greek word means strong desire. 
and it can be used in a good way. And it's okay to have strong desires that are good. But it's when that strong desire cancels obedience to God that it's wrong. Strong desire that isn't yielded to God moves you in the opposite direction to God, away from him. And away from God always means death and destruction. A fleshly lust is coveting. And that's one of the Ten Commandments. You're not supposed to want anything that belongs to anybody that isn't your own. And you realize you can covet your neighbor's donkey or his wife or, you know, his Harley Davidson motorcycle or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And the crazy thing is, as soon as you go, man, I wish I had that, you're dead. Because it's in your mind, it's in your heart. And this is where you realize how deep this goes. It just it comes out of you. Jesus said, out of the heart comes fornications, adulteries, thefts, lies, slanders. It's all in the heart. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, from which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So that lust can take the form of, I just want to get rich. What's the matter with that? And the answer is, it's a ring in your nose that somebody can pull to make you do all kind of things you don't want to do, but you do them. Because that desire pierces you. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, just in case I missed anything this morning, here's a comprehensive list. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Lewdness is preoccupation with sexual things. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When Paul says, and the like, that leaves the list open. <laughs> that means you can throw in more fleshly lusts on top of that. It's like it goes on and on and on and on and on. Now, as long as we're clear on that score, everybody got that? And everybody got nailed this morning. Isn't that crazy? I, I don't even have to watch. 
I throw the rock, I know somebody's going to get hit. How skilled he is. No, how big the target. I can't miss. All right. But Peter says that fleshly lusts are not what you are about anymore. You have become a stranger on your own planet. An alien. That's what some translations have. Alien. An alien is someone differing in nature or character, typically to the point of incompatibility. An alien is not compatible with this situation, this strange situation. All of these movies about aliens, they're not nice and cuddly and you want to pet them. They're trying to kill you. They're incompatible with your environment. It's them or you. So we get this, right? Well, guess what? We're the aliens. That's, <laughs> I didn't think I was that dangerous. See, we used to be like everybody else. We weren't strangers. We weren't different. We were naturally caught up in fleshly lusts just like everybody else. And we didn't think a thing of it. This is what Paul the Apostle says in Titus chapter 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Now, you know, a fish does not say to his neighbor fish, man, I'm wet. I'm so wet. Drives me nuts. Wish I could just do something different. Or kind of like Olaf. Olaf the snowman. He wants to have a fabulous life in summer. And we all watch him rhapsodizing about how he's going to have a fabulous time in summer. But you know he'd melt. He's incompatible. Well, do you know that our natural environment is fleshly lust? And we didn't think a thing of it. But God did something to us. He placed us in Christ. He changed our environment. And Paul goes on to say that when the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man, appear not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so Paul says in Colossians 1, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. 
So we used to be here in the domain of darkness, and he brought us into the kingdom of Jesus. It's a whole new place. It's a new environment. We are now in Christ, and because we're in Christ, we are different to the point of being incompatible in this world. Have you ever felt that? Like, I say as a person, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And they look at you like, where is your spaceship parked? Your words are strange to me. We do not speak this way. Wouldn't it be great if Boris Johnson got up and just said, and another thing, Jesus is Lord. Can you imagine what would happen if he ever did that? People would come unglued. And he would look like a person from another planet. Well, here we are. Because today we are saying Jesus is Lord. And there's an entire world out there that says, no, he's not. This is incompatible. Get that? Now, you know, God saved Israel from the hand of him who hated them. And hate is a strong word, isn't it? Here's the thinking behind it. You are different from me, and therefore I hate you. That's the thought behind racism that makes it the problem that it is today. It's not acceptable that you are different. Therefore, I hate you. Now, behind this intolerance is arrogance. It's pride that says, I am the standard. And if you're different, that means you're wrong. And therefore, because you're different from me, I hate you. Now, nobody comes out and says that stuff, but that's the way they act. It's based on, you're different, and I'm the standard, so you're wrong. Now, did you know this is the point of conflict of Israel living in Egypt? That... Israel was always different. They were always strangers while they lived in Egypt. Egyptians could not eat with them. All right? You'll remember that when Joseph's brothers, Joseph being the number two guy in Egypt, invited his brothers to eat with him, Joseph and his men ate at this table and put his brothers at another table because he wasn't telling his brothers who he was. And as far as they knew, he is the man, the Egyptian man. And as an Egyptian, he could not eat with his brothers because it's an abomination for Egyptians to eat with strangers. So to keep things looking good, he put them at another table. You can read that. When he did make himself known to his brothers, and he says, I want you to all come down to Egypt, 
they all had to go in and talk to Pharaoh. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to tell Pharaoh that you're shepherds because then he's going to put you off in the land of Goshen, away from the Egyptians. So when they went in and talked to Pharaoh, they laid it on thick. You can read it. He says, so what do you guys do? And they said, we're shepherds, and our fathers were shepherds, and we've always been shepherds. And Pharaoh says, you know what? Put these guys in the land of Goshen, will you? And if there are any competent men among them, put them in charge of my herds. Did you get that? If there are any competent men among them, I have to laugh. He says, you guys are boneheads. <laughs> and we're going to put you in Goshen. It's like you, you're strange. You're strange. We don't, we don't like your kind around here. So, here's a society based on slave labor, Egypt was. And yet Pharaoh got it into his head to kill and destroy Israel. Have you ever wondered at that? Why would you try to destroy your own labor force by having all the mothers cast their male children into the Nile River. It doesn't make sense, does it? But Egypt figured there's so many of them, if an enemy comes, they're going to join with the enemy and attack us. They assumed that Israel would turn on them. Why? Because they're different. They're alien. They're incompatible. There's no way they would side with us. So this is the idea of Egypt. But you know, there's a modern parallel to this. And that is in Germany in the 1930s and 1940s. Where the Jews were blamed for things they didn't do and had no control over. And they were eliminated from the German society when the Germans could have benefited from their abilities and their strengths. But instead of, you know, incorporating them and saying, yes, let's work together, they just said, these are the problem, and they got rid of them. Now, see, it doesn't make sense on a human scale. But on a spiritual scale, it makes plenty of sense. Because there is a spiritual being who hates God. Because he hates God, he hates God's people. And that is the only explanation for why the Jews are treated the way they're treated. That is, they're God's people and they're different. There's a conflict between the devil and God. God saves us because he loves us. The devil hates us and wants to kill us. And those fleshly lusts now make war on us. 
and they want to drag us down into slavery and death. That's the situation we find ourselves in as God's people. And yes, it's a fabulous privilege to be in Christ. But it's also this tremendous conflict. Now, God expects us to win this because he's saving us. And what's our strategy going to be? How are we going to do this? Have you felt the conflict? Have you lost a few battles? I know I have, and it's made me ask, what is my strategy? How do I keep myself alive in this war? You don't get points for getting killed, right? Well, here's what Peter says. Abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. You don't fight directly against fleshly lusts. You don't do that because you cannot fight your old nature. You're fighting essentially against you. Have you ever won against yourself? You know, I've never been able to do that because I love myself. So why would I ever fight against myself? If I have to fight against myself, I'm always going to lose. Self-preservation kicks in, and I do what I want to do. All right? So that is not the way to do it. You find yourself saying, well, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and it turns into, do this, do this, do this, and I'm way ahead of you, devil. So focusing on the problem itself is a non-starter. If you could win against yourself, then Jesus died for nothing. All God would have to do is say, you're not even trying. Try harder. So that's a non-starter. Peter says, abstain from them, which means hold yourself back from them, which is kind of interesting. You think, well, I can't do that. But in this case, you can. He says, don't go near them. Well, where do I go if I don't go near them? And the answer is, away from them. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul says to Timothy, flee youthful lusts. Flee them. And then he says, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He says, in one sense, run away from those fleshly lusts. And then he says, run to. You see, if you're running from, you got to have a direction. And the direction is run to Jesus. Youthful lusts are the old life, the old nature. Righteousness, faith, love, etc. are the new life, the new nature. And the great thing that Paul says is run. Run. Now, when you run, 
You have focus and you have force. You have to know where you're going. You have to watch out in case you run into something. So you're very focused on where you put your feet and the direction that you run. And then you're exerting yourself. You don't just trip, you know, and do your little step down the road. It's boom, 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 boom. You're running, right? And you're doing one thing. Now, that is a great metaphor for living a life with God, running. And it is amazing how often this metaphor pops up in Scripture. And I didn't, I didn't do this with a concordance because I was interested in putting forth a little thing that is kind of cool. It's like all over the Bible, and all I had to do was sit down and think, and these Scriptures kept coming. So listen to this, Isaiah 40. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall man up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Psalm 119, 32. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight. Not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Galatians 2. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who are of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Again, in Galatians 5, he says to them, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Philippians 2, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Philippians 3, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. He's like a runner waiting to break the tape, and that's what he's doing. So he says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And at the end of his life, in 2 Timothy 4, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Hebrews 12. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, 
and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So you know what? Run is the norm for living a life with God. It's the norm. That's what you do. You run. And that's living in a world that's fallen with fleshly lusts waging war against your soul. And here's the reason why we run. This is how Jesus lived when he was a man. He ran his course. He's the author of the course that we run. He's the finisher. So he ran a race too. And so we're going to run the same course that he marked out for us. So you know, it is a great privilege to be in Christ. It is also a conflict. We deal with it by running away from fleshling lusts, and we run to Jesus. In other words, we pursue our relationship with Jesus. We seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And again, we've made a list of all those things that can be sought and found where Christ is, those things above. And it's a really long list. Everything that we're looking for, in fact, you can sum it up in one word, satisfaction. And this is something that fleshly lust cannot provide. Now, it promises the moon. Do me, and you're going to be satisfied. But it never works out that way. And in fact, fleshly lust cannot be satisfied. Ever. So it's a dead end. Dead. End. Dead end. For us it is. Why go after a substitute when God has so worked in our lives that we get the real thing, the life, Jesus himself. So, what we're going to do then, this is our strategy. Every single person that believes in Jesus, you forsake those fleshly lusts that you used to just, that's how you live. That's what you do. And just say, you know, I'm different. I'm different because I'm going the opposite way. I am running. I'm running to Jesus, pursuing that life in the Spirit. And you think, what's that going to do? And the answer is, it will transform your life. 
Instead of getting hung up on, I'm sinning, and I'm not getting any victory over it, and I'm a failure, and I cannot do this, and I can't face temptation. What you're doing instead is ignoring that whole scene and pursuing Jesus. You know, part of our warfare, the, the weapons of our warfare, is the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery arrows of the enemy, of the devil? Well, you know, faith is just a word that talks about relationship. And your relationship with Jesus is something that just puts out the fire of the devil. It extinguishes it. So that if you pursue your relationship with Jesus, everything else takes care of itself. Those burning arrows don't reach you, and then they go out. So it's not by trying to dodge fiery arrows or try to catch them in the air like some kind of ninja and go, you will not catch them. They will not go out. But instead, as you develop your relationship with Jesus and pursue that, funny enough, those arrows are falling far afield and they're not burning you. So I would even go as far as to say as don't let anything bug you. Not even the fact that you're not doing well. Because Jesus has saved you. And he's fabulous and he loves you. So the thing to do is to pursue him with focus and with force. Run for your life, but not like in a scared way. Like if I don't do this, I'm dead. You know, this is where your life is. This is where the joy and the satisfaction is. You might think this morning, I, I'm not a force guy. I'm not a focus guy. And it is true. Have you ever, ever in your life seen anybody running with a smartphone in their hand? What do you think when you see a guy trying to run with a smartphone in their hand? Do you say to yourself, ooh, that guy's going to be in trouble in no time flat? Do you say, that guy is obviously elsewhere. He's not thinking about where he's running. And in fact, all of his focus is going on to this thing that is making him a virtual zombie right now. It's eating his brains because of this thing that I, I can't, can't get rid of it. Yes, Master. Yes, I, I have a tape to my forehead. What are your instructions? Okay. Do you know that you cannot serve God in your phone? That's the most radical thing I've said all day. This is like incompatible. But it's true. 
You say, I'm not a focus guy. I'm not a first guy. I can't put my phone down. But you know what? Jesus can put your phone down. And Jesus is a focus guy. And he is a force guy. And if you come to him and you say, you know what? I am a boneless chicken. I cannot, I cannot run. He says, I can work with boneless chickens. I can give you all the bones you want. See? And you can do this because he says you can. In Jesus, the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. And in him, you are complete. And you can say, oh Lord, I am so incomplete. Will you please make me complete? And he says, I love you. I will. So as you seek him, he's going to take care of the idolatry and the coveting and the fleshly lusts and the disobedience and all that junk. He's going to take care of that. All you got to do is pursue him. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you are so good. You're so good that you would actually come into our lives and mess everything up. And the things that we used to delight in, we can't. And there are new things that we delight in, which we never thought we would do. Pursue Jesus, run the way of your commandments, run it all. But this is, this is what you have for us. And we marvel. We wouldn't do it like this. But your ways are higher than our ways. And we know that you're able to divide the Red Sea. And therefore, you are able to perform your word in us. And we ask you to do that. Make runners out of each one of us who say, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lays ahead. Please give our lives focus. Please give our lives force. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.